1964, the Righteous Brothers released a song that became a great hit. The name of the song? You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Well-known song. And as we've studied the message of Jesus to the church in Ephesus, we've seen that Jesus was addressing a church that had lost that loving feeling. They had lost their preeminent love for Christ. And we began our study of this message to the church in Ephesus last week, and we talked about how a church or how a person loses their love for Christ. And this week, I want us to examine how a church or how Christians recapture that love for Christ. How do you get that love back once you've lost it? So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, as we continue our summer sermon series titled, A Message to the Church. We are looking at seven specific messages that Jesus gave to seven specific churches in first century Asia Minor, and thinking about how those messages apply to us in the here and now. A message to the church. Revelation chapter 2, we will begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you Hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we are so grateful for the privilege of calling you Father. To know that in Christ we have been adopted our sins have been washed away. We are now children of the living God. It is a remarkable privilege. It's hard for us to wrap our mind and our heart around what it means to be yours. But we're grateful. And we know, Lord, that because you are our Father, we are invited to draw near to your throne of grace, to find mercy and receive help in times of need. And we want to proclaim as a faith family this morning that we need you. We believe that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. We know that apart from your working in our midst, this time will be wasted time. So Holy Spirit of God, would you come? Would you move with power? 
Would you give us the grace to know that we have encountered the living God today? Speak to us. Your servants are listening. And I ask you to establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in the name which is above every name. The name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. John was an early first century church leader. And because he preached Jesus and the Roman emperor didn't want people preaching Jesus, John was sent into exile to a barren island called Patmos. And during his time on this Isle of Patmos, Jesus appeared to him and gave him a series of visions that he was to write down and send to the churches in the first century. Now much of this message that Jesus gives John deals with end times scenarios. But the, the first series of messages are specific messages that Jesus had for specific churches in Asia Minor, beginning with Ephesus. We are studying those seven messages to these seven churches. Now, our first study is the church of Ephesus, this message Jesus had to that church, and we had to divide it up into two parts. Last week, as we began looking at Ephesus, we had to talk about and think about uh, how someone or how a group of someone, like a church, lose their love for Christ. And we talked about that at length last week. If you weren't here last week, I'd uh, encourage you to get on the internet or go to iTunes and, and download the podcast and listen to that message. But basically, here's what we said last week. The church in Ephesus had some strengths. They were doctrinally sound. They stood against false teachers. They believed the right stuff. The church in Ephesus was a, a hard-working church, a busy church. They labored for the Lord. They were steadfast. They persevered through difficult times. There was a lot that Jesus commended uh, with this church. But this church had some shortcomings. And Jesus says in verse 4, But even though you believe the right stuff, even though you work hard, even though you persevere, you have left your first love. You have abandoned your first love. And we talked about how, uh, how we get to that point where we leave our first love for Jesus. I like what Craig Keener says to kind of sum up the first two parts of this message. He writes, many of us Western evangelicals can smell unsound doctrine a mile away. And yet the fruit of personal experience of God often proves rare among us. So we can believe the right stuff, and we can serve the Lord, we can be involved in church, and listen, not love Jesus. And, and that's not acceptable. Jesus wants to address this. And so Jesus is addressing this with the church in Ephesus. So the first half is how someone loses their love for Christ. This morning I want to talk about how you get it back. How you recapture that love for Christ once you've lost it. You used to have a burning uh, fire in your heart for the Lord Jesus, but now that burning fire is just smoldering embers. How do you fan those embers into flame again? How do you love Jesus preeminently yet again? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. So if you look down in your notes, part three, technically, of the sermon, point three of the sermon is this. Jesus offers the solution for Ephesus. The solution for Ephesus. Jesus gives the church in Ephesus three commands, three imperatives, that he wants them to obey. And these commands are the roadmap for them to, to get back to that place where they love Jesus. The first word is an important word. It's the word remember. Look what 
The Bible says there in verse 4, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, here's the solution, here's the cure, here's how you address it. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. The first thing Jesus says is, if you want to love me like you used to, you want to recapture that lost love for me, you've got to remember from where you have fallen. Now that, that verb there is present tense, which means it's to be continually happening in your life. You're to continually remember some things uh, about your Christian life, some things concerning where you have fallen from, what your life used to be like when you loved Jesus. So can I suggest some things that we need to remember to recapture that love for Christ? First of all, we need to remember who we were before we met Christ. Who we were before we met Christ. Do you remember what your life was like before you met Jesus? Do you remember your spiritual condition before Jesus intersected your life? Early this morning in my, in my personal Bible study, I was reading Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 lays out the problem. Ephesians 2 says, you weren't just in bad shape. You weren't just having difficult times. Before you met Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's pretty serious, right? You were spiritually dead. There was no life in you. You were separated from God. You were far from God. That's who you were before you met Christ. And, and many of us take our salvation for granted because we've forgotten who we were before we were saved. And one of the ways that we, we recapture our love for Christ is by remembering what our life was like before Jesus because when we remember that, we'll appreciate Jesus in a new and fresh way. See, before you met Christ, you were lost, but Jesus found you. Before you met Christ, you were dead, but Jesus made you alive. Before you met Christ, you were broken, but Jesus mended you. Before you met Christ, you were wounded, but Jesus healed you. Before you met Christ, you were in slavery, but Jesus set you free. And when you remember who you were before you met Christ, something happens in your heart. And a new appreciation for Christ and what He's done, the change He has wrought, begins to take shape in your heart. And so we need to remember who we were before we met Christ. Secondly, we need to remember the price Jesus paid to save us. The price Jesus paid to save us. Can I remind you that Jesus left the splendor and glory of heaven, unceasing worship, unceasing praise, and he came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary, and took on humanity. He took on human flesh. And then he lived a perfect life. He did nothing but good. He taught and he healed, and he set people free, and he did nothing but good deeds, and yet man turned on Christ. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was maligned. He was whipped. A crown of thorns was thrust down upon his head, and yes, he was crucified. His hands were nailed to the cross. His feet were nailed to the cross, and on that cross, Jesus took all of our sin, all of it, and he put it on his own shoulders. And then he endured the wrath of God, the punishment of God in our place. He paid it all. He 
died for our sins. He took the wrath of God so we would not have to. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? We forget what Jesus did to save us. So can I suggest to you that one of the best ways to recapture your love for Christ is to spend some time at the foot of the cross? Spend some time gazing at the cross? Remembering the crucified Savior that died for you? I love this quote from John Stott. He writes, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough to it for its sparks to fall on us. If you want your love for Christ to be rekindled, spend some time at the foot of the cross. And as you spend some time remembering the cross, reflecting on the cross, praising God for what happened on the cross, the sparks will fall on your life, and that love for Christ, as you remember the price He paid, will begin to grow in your heart. Remember the price Jesus paid to save you. And that'll do something to you. Third, remember the excitement of when you were born again. Do you remember what it was like when you met Jesus? Do you remember that excitement, that joy? Do you remember that burden you felt and then all of a sudden that burden was gone? It was lifted. There was peace in your life. There was meaning in your life. There was fulfillment in your life. There was joy in your life. Do you remember that? Do you remember the unfettered joy of when you met Christ? Because I believe we'll go back to that moment. Remember what it was like when Jesus actually saved us. We can't help but love Jesus more. Last night in our home, we had family worship. We put out blankets on the living room floor, and we get all of our kids together, and we sit down, and, and I read some Bible and explain the Bible to them, and then we sing some songs, and then we pray. Not very long, just 15 minutes, something like that. And last night, the song that Claire and I sung to them, because we want them to learn this song, is the song, one of my favorite hymns, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. I love that song. It says, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the needs of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all the darkness depart. And we sang that song to our kids, and they sang with us. And I said, you know why I like that song? I like that song because it reminds me of when I was saved. It reminds me of when I was nine years old, sitting at my dining room table with my pastor, and he led me through the Romans road, and he told me I could call on the, on the name of the Lord and be saved. And at my dining room table, nine years of age, I called on the name of Jesus, and he, 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 he came and saved me. Heaven filled my soul at that moment. And I remember the joy of that moment. I remember the peace of that moment. And you can't think about when you were saved and not grow in your love for Christ. So remember that moment, the excitement of when you were born again. Do you remember what that was like? Wait, I don't remember anything about that. Well, I wonder if you're born again. I, I just, I don't know if you can meet the Lord of the universe and not know it. Right? And so remember the excitement of when you were born again. And then, and then next, remember the passion, this is important, the passion with which you first served Jesus. Do you remember what those, those days were like? After you were born again, you were newly saved, and, and you just, 
you could just not get enough of serving Christ. If, if something needed to be done, you were volunteering, and you were serving the Lord with gladness. You were serving the Lord with joy. I mean, there was just an excitement, a passion in your life. A, uh, you, you would not grow weary. You would not faint. You were just excited to be on God's team. You were excited to be born again. You were excited to serve Him. Do you remember that passion? That passion is not present in your life today. Spend some time reflecting upon those moments in your Christian journey when you were boldly, joyfully serving Jesus. Remember what that was like. He said, remember from where you've fallen. He said, this, here's what it was like when you loved Jesus, now you've fallen down here. Remember what that was like. Because you can't remember that and not be changed. And so if we're going to recapture our love for Christ, number one, we've got to remember. Claire and I, we have a, it's, it's really a, a sappy, sweet love story. We really do. And I'm going to spare you all the details uh, this morning. I think I've shared it through our, my life as pastor. But, but we were high school sweethearts. We met, I was 10 and she was 8, and we square danced together. And, and I mean, we, we, I mean we, it's, just a, it's just a great love story. We'd make a great movie, it really would. And, and I, I can remember... Those moments of first love. Man, I just, I, mean, I was crazy about it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about her. She's always on my mind. And I still love her greatly today. But let me ask you this question. When's the last time you felt like that about Jesus? Where he was on your mind, on your heart. You went to bed at night thinking about him. You woke up in the morning thinking about him. When's the last time Jesus had that preeminent position in your life? Where you loved him like that? You can think of that time. Remember it. Remember from where you have fallen, which leads to the second command that Jesus gives. If you want to you recapture your love for Christ, you need to remember. But secondly, you need to repent. You need to repent. Look what it says in verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. The word repent in the Greek language, the word metanoia, it, it means a change of mind, a change of direction. And, and, and it's a very important biblical word. And Jesus is saying, here's the road map to recapture your love for me. You've got to remember some things about from where you've fallen, but you've also got to repent because what you're doing is not working. You see, if you're, if you're going a direction in life and it's not working, you need to stop going that direction and go a new direction. Let me give you some, some word pictures to help you to nail down what it means to repent. Look there on the screen. Uh, this is a road sign. Some of you obey this sign, some of you don't. It's the word stop right? The word stop. And repentance begins when you stop. You're going one direction, and you say, you know what? This isn't going so well. I'm busy. Uh, life is overwhelming, and I'm trying real hard, but I don't love Jesus like I used to. So this is obviously not the right direction. Something needs to change. So you recognize that, and you stop. The next road sign is the, the sign for a U-turn. You say, because this isn't working, I need to go in a new direction. I need to turn from this way of life and, and, and follow hard after Jesus. You, may, you make a U-turn, a, a radical readjustment to your life. Then the third sign is the yield sign. Once you stop and you turn, it's time for you to yield anew and afresh to the Lord. And say, here's my life. It's yours. I want to go in a new direction. I want to love you like, you like I used to. Will you help me? 
My life is yours, a new and a fresh. Will you help me go in that new direction? That's repentance. You stop, and you make a U-turn, and you yield, and Christ helps you go in a brand new direction. That's what Jesus says. You need to repent. You need to turn. Robert Mounts calls repentance a radical redirection of one's entire life. This is not some, okay, Wade, I'm going to try to love Jesus more. Repentance says, I'm going to make some adjustments in my life because what I'm doing is not working. So I'm ready for a radical readjustment. I'm ready to go in a new direction, yielded to the Spirit, letting Him lead and guide me. That's repentance. So Jesus says, you've got to remember. You've got to repent. But third, you've got to resume. Resume. Look what the Bible says in verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen, repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Remember, repent, and then do the deeds you did at first. Go back to what you used to do when you loved Jesus. This suggests restoring the original fellowship that was broken by our sin and neglect. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you have been born again, if you have truly met Christ, the Bible says you have been adopted. You are a child of God. That relationship whereby God is your father will never change. Once a child of God, you will always be a child of God. Nothing or no one can snatch you out of the father's hand, right? That's your relationship. It will never be broken, but your fellowship with the father can be affected. If you sin and neglect him and, and don't love him like you used to, then you're not close to the father. When he says, do the deeds you did at first, he's saying, get back to that point where you were walking in close fellowship, close intimacy with the Lord. That's what he's saying there. Warren Wiersbe writes, for the believer, this means prayer, Bible reading, meditation, obedient service, and worship. It is a call to practice the spiritual disciplines. You go back to walking with God, doing what you did when you were on fire for Jesus. You go back to that point in your life, doing the things you did when you Loved him preeminently. It's a call to resume walking closely with Jesus. Now, let me just give you a quick word here. There's a, there's a, a heresy that has taken root in many of our Baptist churches. And I, I really believe it's from, the, from, from Satan. Here, here's, what it, here's how it goes. Preacher, I've served for years and years in the church. I've been a Christian for a long time. It's time for somebody else to do the work. Show me that Bible verse. Where's that in the Bible? Is that in first opinions? Where's that in the Bible? There, there's no Christian service retirement plan in the Bible. If your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing, you are here for a reason. And God does not want you to get on the shelf. He wants you to keep serving as a model and an example, applying your wisdom to the next generation. So this idea of it, that, oh, I don't need to do what I used to do. Listen to me. Jesus said, if you want to love me, do the deeds you did at first. I hear people say something like this. Boy, I remember back in the day, back in the good old days, I, I helped in the youth ministry. I drove the, the bus on trips. I was a mentor to some young people. I taught a, a youth class. And, and boy, those were the good old days. Why aren't you doing it now? 
If you felt God's favor and God was using you, who told you to stop? Right? Or boy, I remember the days I used to teach a, a Sunday school class, and man, we had a big old class, and God was blessing, and I just loved studying God's Word and teaching it. And Why not go back and do the deed you did at first? That's when you were walking with Jesus and loving Jesus and you sensed God's power in your life. Go back to doing that. Get with Frank. He'll talk to you. He'll, he'll give you our philosophy and get you plugged in. But this idea that I used to do that and I was really effective then, but now I'm on the shelf is unbiblical. Unbiblical. If you, if you remember sometimes when God was using your life mightily, when you were, were passionately in love with the Savior, go back and do it again. That's what Jesus is saying here. Do the deed you did at first. Get back into the game. Have you ever had a conversation? And you get interrupted in your conversation, and, and you deal with that, and you come back to the conversation, and you say, now where were we? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, we need to stop and ask ourselves this question. Now, where were we? What did I used to do for the Lord that made a great impact? And if I can remember that, why am I not doing it now? Why am I not serving now? Why am I on the sidelines now? Resume. Get back to work for the glory of God. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the help. But get back to work. Jesus here and calling for remembrance and repentance and a resuming of, of, of walking with Jesus is a call. And the call here is not to shore up strategy or mobilize new methodology. The call is to recapture a thriving love relationship with Jesus. See, for about 30 years in the church, we've sought all the wrong remedies for what's going on in the church in America. We know the church in America has some problems. We're not reaching our country. We're not even reaching our own kids statistically. We know there's some real problems. And so say, okay, what do we do with the church that is so powerless in America? What should we do? And the answer for 30 years has been, go to a conference. Here's some preacher that's doing it at his church. Learn what he's doing. Bring it all back to your church and implement it. And once you get a new strategy going, your church will catch fire and grow. And we, for 30 years, have been chasing strategy after strategy after strategy, change after change after change, and nothing has happened. The church growth movement has yielded nothing, nothing. Maybe it's because we're not dealing with the real issue. The issue is not what strategy are we employing or methodology are we mobilizing. The issue is, do we love Jesus? Because I'm telling you, if a group of folks really fall in love with Christ all over again, there is no limit to how God can and will use them to make a difference. That's the answer. That's what he tells the church of Ephesus. He says, fall back in love with me. So we see here the solution for the church in Ephesus. But I want to close by just talking for a few moments about the seriousness of the message. The seriousness of the message. This is serious business. Look what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place. Now, what does that mean? We've seen in Revelation that the lampstand uh, is symbolic of the church. There were seven lampstands in this vision which represent the seven churches that Jesus Christ is addressing, the seven churches in Asia Minor. 
So when Jesus says that I'm going to remove your lampstand, what he's saying is this. If you don't listen, you will lose your status as a church. If you don't heed my message, if you don't love me like you used to, then you will lose your lampstand. You'll lose your status as a church. Look at that quote in your notes from John Stott. He writes, No church has a secure and permanent place in the world. It is continuously on trial. Christ's warning to Ephesus is just as appropriate to us today. Our own church's light will be extinguished if we stubbornly persevere in our refusal to love Christ. The church has no light without love. Only when its love burns can its light shine. Many churches today have ceased truly to exist. Their buildings may remain intact, their ministers minister, and their congregations congregate, but their lampstand has been moved. The church is plunged in darkness. No glimmer of light radiates from it. It has no light because it has no love. Let us heed this warning before it is too late. In other words, if a church says, we're going to keep doing our thing, chasing methodology and strategy, and not loving Jesus, which is the key issue, Jesus said, I'll remove your lampstand. You will cease being a church. Now, this happens in a couple of ways. Number one, some churches just close their doors. They, they die and shrink to the point they can't even pay their bills. They shut the doors. And I want you to know, there are hundreds of churches a week that die and shut their doors for good. In America. Happens all the time. Every week it happens. Churches are dying because they stubbornly refuse to love Christ preeminently. Another way you see this manifest is when you see a church that is still functioning, they have a budget, they have a building, and they have people, and they have ministers, but they're just going through the motions. You go, and, and it's just dead. There's no life there. The presence of God is not there. The favor of God is not resting upon that church. Jesus has removed the lampstand. And I do not want that to happen at Longview Point. I don't want us just going through the motions without the power of God on us. Amen? I want to be a church that is alive for the glory of God, making a real difference, a real impact. But Jesus warns the church in Ephesus, and he warns us. If you stubbornly refuse to love me like you used to, if you stubbornly refuse to recapture that love for me, if you miss the point that it's all about relationship, then I'll remove your lampstand. You will lose your status as a church in the eyes of God. You see, Jesus wants his church to continue with power. The reason he warns them here is because he wants them to continue on, making a difference. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. In other words, there is a way for you to continue on with power. There's a way for you to continue on making a difference. Repent. Remember. Return, resume, do what you were doing before. And when you love me again, there'll be new life in your church. An early church father named Ignatius wrote a letter after this revelation was recorded by John. And in that letter, he wrote about the church in Ephesus. And he mentions in that letter their love for God and their love for each other. Do you know what that tells me? Ephesus got the message. They returned and started loving Jesus again. And they continued on with power in that area. And Jesus wants his church to continue with power. And here's what Jesus wants for you as an individual. 
Jesus wants his people to finish well. That's why this is so serious. Because Jesus desires that our church be on fire, and Jesus desires that you and I finish well. Now, verse 6 mentions the Nicolaitans. We talked about them last week. But look in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This, this formula is, is used with all seven churches. Let them hear what the Spirit is saying. Let them heed the message. This is like, if you have kids, you understand this. When you're trying to give your kids instruction, and you sense they're not really listening to you. You've ever told your kids, look at me. Look at me. Look, look at me. All right? Once you, know they're look, once you know you have their attention, you speak to them, you know they've got it. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Listen to me. Serious business. Hear what the Spirit is saying. And then look at the rest of this verse. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Now what is going on here? Who is the one who overcomes? The word overcomes there, the word Nikon, it's where we get the word Nike from. It's the word for victory. It's a word for conquering. And Jesus says, to the one who overcomes, they will eat the, from the tree of life in the paradise of God, which is heaven. So what, who are the ones who overcome? These are people who are truly saved, that heed the message and repent and maintain their love for Christ. Listen to me. If someone is truly saved, they will make it to the finish line. They will respond to the conviction of their heart, and they'll focus on their love for Christ, and they'll heed the message. That's someone who's truly saved. So the ones who conquer are those who are really saved. He's saying those that make it to the finish line, those that live out a love for Christ to the very end, are exhibiting by their love that they are truly born again. And those who do not heed the message, those who do not exhibit a desire to love Jesus again, are probably not really saved. That's what he's saying there. The ones who conquer, the ones who overcome, are those who are truly born again. And so, here's my question. As a follower of Jesus, if you're truly saved, do you have a real desire to love Jesus like you used to? And could it be that you're here this morning, and it's not that you have fallen out of love with Jesus, it's that you never loved Jesus in the first place. You've never had a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You've never had a relationship whereby you've loved him. You're not saved. That could be the issue. Maybe you don't need to recapture your love for Christ. You need to enter into love for Christ as you experience his salvation. But look what he says about those who are truly regenerate. He says, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, what's the tree of life all about? Let me give you this very quickly. I could do a whole sermon on this. I'm going to give you two very, very quickly. In Genesis 2-9, the tree of life was placed in the Garden of Eden by God himself. But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin. They eat fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, the tree God told them not to eat fruit from. They give in to the temptation of Satan, and they sin. And because they sin, Genesis 3, 22-24 records that God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And then he puts an angel there to the entrance with a flaming sword to keep them from coming back in. And the Bible says the reason that angel was there was to keep Adam and Eve from coming back in the garden and eating from the tree of life. You see, the tree of life represented immortality. It represented eternal life. He's saying because you've sinned, you don't get immortality. You experience death. 
But then over in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, there's a tree of life mentioned in heaven. And it says those who are in heaven, those who are truly saved, can eat from the tree of life. They're healed by the leaves from its branches. So what happened here? Genesis, they're prohibited from eating from the tree of life and experiencing eternal life. But in Revelation, there are a bunch of folks that are partaking of the tree of life, experiencing eternal life in heaven. How do they get access to that tree? Listen to me. Between the tree of life in Genesis and the tree of life in Revelation, there's another tree of life. I want you to read about it in 1 Peter with me very quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, literally on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. He's saying here that Jesus came and died on a tree. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So if we embrace him as Lord and Savior, he washes our sins away, takes us to heaven where we have access to eternal life. We can eat from the tree of life. Isn't that good? The only way you can have access to the tree of life in heaven is if you embrace the tree of life called Calvary. That's the only way that you know you're going to heaven. So Jesus says, to him who overcomes, to the victor, the one who conquers, the one who makes it to the finish line, loving me, exhibiting, exhibiting they're truly saved, to that one I will grant access to the tree of life in the paradise of God, in heaven itself. That's what's on the line here. That's why we need to heed what Jesus is saying. Heaven and hell are in the balance, and Jesus wants us to be saved, and he wants us to finish well. And so have you lost that love and feeling? Was there a time in your life when you loved Jesus greatly, but that love has grown cold, that love has waned? Let today be the day when you remember, and you repent, and you resume. And let the Spirit of God kindle afresh that fire for Jesus on the altar of your heart.